0: I'm Lara Land, somatic coach and yoga teacher trainer, and this is the Beyond Trauma podcast. What a couple of years we have had, the challenges continue to grow, and more and more of us are experiencing some level of traumatic stress. My commitment here is to bring you the most up-to-date insights on exactly how trauma affects our mind-body-spirit system, and how we can work with our bodies to soften its impacts. You will be hearing from trauma survivors and researchers, and together, we are going to incorporate what they have to teach us to heal ourselves and promote the well-being of all those around us. Here we go. Welcome back, everyone. I am so excited to have you here today for a little insight into a conversation with a friend, my friend Pamela Stokes Eggleston. Pamela, I asked to come on the podcast because of her deep knowledge of the importance of and tips for sleep. Yes, we all need better sleep, and the importance of sleep in connection with trauma healing really, really can't be overstated. Pamela's an expert on sleep. She's also been working for many years with veterans who have PTSD and bringing yoga to them. So we'll talk in this episode about yoga for veterans and also for family members of veterans who often suffer from vicarious PTSD. Uh, we also talk a little bit about yoga service, yoga for good and the yoga non-profit space. Pamela is the founder of Yoga to Sleep. She's the co-founder of Retreat to Spirit and on clinical faculty at Maryland University of Integrative Health. She's a certified yoga therapist, a meditation teacher, and an end-of-life doula with specialized training in plant-based nutrition, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, and trauma-informed yoga to work with service members, veterans, and caregivers and insomnia sufferers. Previously uh, serving on the board of yoga service collective, she cultivated financial resilience and strategic partnerships for the organization. In Avid Yogini for over 20 years, Pamela was motivated to begin her teaching journey when she realized that yoga decreased her insomnia and reduced her knee pain. Pamela has a Master of Science in Yoga Therapy and a Master of Business Administration. She is a contributing editor of Best Practices for Yoga with Veterans and Yoga and Resilience, Empowering Practices for Survivors of Sexual Trauma, as well as researcher, author of Yoga Therapy as a Complementary Modality for female veteran caregivers with traumatic stress, a case study, and addressing multiple sclerosis symptoms, a yoga therapy case study. Pamela has worn many hats and served on many nonprofit boards. She's an accomplished consultant, advisor, published author, and international speaker. You can find her on yogatosleep.com and retreattospirit.today and here with me in this next episode. Hi, Pam. Hi, Laura. How are you? Thank you for making this time to sit down together. Yes, of course. I'm always excited when I get to see you or talk to you. Yeah. It's been a minute. I know. For for seeing each other, for sure. <laughs> I've been grateful to check in with you, you know, here and there over the pandemic and mm-hmm. just make mm-hmm. sure everyone was okay. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to have you on this podcast really because of all the work that you've done and continue to do around PTSD with veterans and veteran families. In fact, I feel like just as your friend, I'd like to know more about
1: how that all began and what your whole journey has been with that. My journey began really with, I would say, a full experience of PTSD by living with somebody who was injured in the Iraq war conflicts. That was my spouse. When he got back, he had full PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. I never thought that that would be like my life or that I would be living with that. And as we learned how to live together with that condition, I was told by a friend of mine who works in the veteran space as well, Um, as we know a lot of military and, and veterans organizations, that it's a possibility that I might have secondary PTS. There's another word for it. It's vicarious PTS or vicarious trauma, right? There's different words for these things. And so I was like, wow, this is, that was the first time I had heard it. But when she told me that it landed, like it was heavy, like in my heart and in my solar plexus, like it just landed. And so I was cycling through these feelings of what does that mean for me? And how can I help myself? Right. And it made sense because one of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder and, you know, overlapping a traumatic brain injury or TBI, uh, which is what my spouse has, was insomnia. Right. And so I discovered that, okay, my sleep is really, really, jacked up. It's really not good right now. And so I was on Ambien for a while. Although medication has its place, I'm a firm believer in doing what you need to do and using a traditional medicine when we can and when we know it's going to help. That being on, I'll say, Ambien really didn't help my sleep in the way that I thought. Like I wasn't getting deep sleep. I felt I would wake up and I wouldn't have any dreams and I'd feel like, okay, I know I was asleep, but do I feel rested? Do I feel re-energized? And so I was looking for a way to not use Ambien for the rest of my life. And of course, I had been doing yoga. I'd been practicing yoga for like over two decades and I didn't put two and two together until I started diving into my practice more as I became a yoga teacher and trainer, really understanding that I could use the tenets of yoga to affect changes in sleep and rest and restoration. And so the realization for me started, I mean, at this point, it was almost, we we're saying, I would say 15 years ago. I'm not good at dates, Laura, but about 15 years ago, where I recognized that I had a secondary PTS or vicarious trauma by living with somebody who is dealing with trauma. And what ends up happening is I went down the rabbit hole of really learning about trauma, taking lots of yoga and trauma trainings, yoga with vets and trauma trainings, and discovering that the other traumas that I might have had from my childhood would affect this secondary PTSD. Like, The other traumas that my husband had during his childhood affected the PTSD and understanding the nuances of that and really sitting with that. So not feeling like, oh, woe is me. This is so horrible, which many times it was, but also saying, okay, what can I learn from these experiences of trauma? And as I unpack that, I started looking at my dad served in the Air Force and my grandfather served in the Army in the Atlantic and Pacific conflicts of World War II during the time where the military was segregated. And so (laughs) you have to watch your back with the enemy, but you also have to watch your back with the enemy that's domestic, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? You know, during that time, which just had to be horrible. And so we thought like my grandfather was eccentric. He was just doing different things. There's creating harm for himself, but also doing the best he can. And I can look at that in his life now, like, well, I mean, he did the best he could in in spite of serving and then having to come back to Jim Crow and white water fountains and colored water fountains and, and all of this. You know, families, as we know about, intergenerational trauma is, is both of us work, do this work in, in yoga and trauma trainings is compounded. And I never, before I started teaching this and working with veterans and working with their families, I didn't put two and two together. And so my journey through trauma, man, it changes, it transmutes, it shifts to look differently. And depending on what any triggers or upheaval we may have in our lives. It can display different types of emotions and sensations and feelings and even affect how we're thinking and what our beliefs are. So for me, because I really love sleep and I love naps, (laughs) I focus on that, the sleep part. And because sleep is so critical and if we're not getting enough of it, it does affect how the trauma moves through our bodies and hearts and minds. And so that was a long way of saying mm-hmm. <laughs> of, of the answer to your question. But yeah, it's been a long journey. And just looking at traumas as it relates to uh, even outside of the military, but how those traumas have been compounded mm-hmm. with the, my life and how I've used yoga to move some of that energy through my body mm. and have interoceptive awareness in that way along with my family members in dealing with trauma. That was really good information.
0: I definitely want to get into the sleep a little bit more with you. Before we go there, as much as it's okay for you, obviously I don't want you to share any of your husband's story that he doesn't want to be shared, but I'm curious if there's anything you could share about his diagnosis of PTSD. Like, was it something that you observed or it was clear how did you sort of know that was going on? And then if you're open to sharing it, what are some of the steps then, especially what are the supports within the military? Because I think a lot of us don't know a lot about that world that you have such insight into, you know, being from just generations of veterans. I know I don't know a lot about what what happens within that world. hmm
1: Well, There's so much I could say about that. I will start with, at the time that he was, and I'm doing my quotation fingers, diagnosed, there was a stigma around post-traumatic stress disorder to the point where many folks throughout his process, my husband's process, were dropping the D off, right? So they were just saying post-traumatic stress. And during the time, nobody wanted that label. Nobody meaning the people who were in conflicts. And my husband was in Iraq 2003, four, and five. During that time coming back, nobody wanted that label because it was such a huge stigma and it might affect your ranking and all of this stuff. It was just completely unfair. And my husband was a reservist. And there's context to that because as a reservist at this time, he was a reservist when he went to Iraq. I wasn't on base. So I didn't live on base. I didn't have a community of other spouses in that way, other families. It was, he was at work as a network architect, you know, as a computer engineer, and he got called up to serve. And so by the time he came back through Walter Reed, which was, we were part of the Walter Reed scandal because there was definitive discrimination between a person who was in the reserves and a person who was active duty, even though technically he had been active, right? Mm -hmm. You have to be active and activated to go serve in a conflict or or a certain place. So there was that on top of his nightmares and all the boxes you can check under PTSD. And we were dealing with that and I kind of trudged through it without Mm -hmm. really knowing that it was affecting me vicariously Mm -hmm. because I'm trying to support him. And during that time when folks at Walter Reed at that time were telling him, you need to tell your wife to shut up and all this other kind of stuff. And it's crazy and it's insane. And I really was trying to support him and really subsequently us in that way.
0: Yeah.
1: And so when I when he wasn't getting the adequate services, I started writing congressmen and senators. And that's how we got to know. At that point, Senator Hillary Clinton, Senator Barack Obama. Lots of people came to the hospital at that point to see what was going on because that had blown up. And my husband and I were at the center of that. I grew up in the Washington, D.C. metro area, so you really can't scare me. But a lot of the military spouses who were from Kansas or who were from South Carolina were really unnerved by, I'll say, the higher ups in that way. I didn't care. I learned how to write letters to my senators and congressmen when I was in middle school. So, (laughs) you know, so I knew the process of governance and civility, and I know that they're there to help. So I have never had any issue when people say, oh, call your congressman or write your congressman. I'm like, yeah, I already did that. Like, I've been doing it. And so it wasn't an issue for me to do that when I saw that this thing was wrong. So it you know affected us in a way that was it was horrible it was like i don't know if i can and i thought about this like i don't know if i can live with this this is not being fully treated i don't know what i can do and the thing about it is even though my husband was suffering from it he understood that thinking how i was thinking in that way and that is why you need to be friends with your spouse <laughs> mm-hmm. more than anything you know people are like i love him or whatever but friends will understand like okay i've been questioning if we should stay together or not. And if we hadn't, I still would have helped him, right? So I would say that's a deeper love and a deeper compassion that I think a lot of couples miss. And I would even say a lot of military couples miss, which is why a lot of people say, well they break up and, and that kind of thing, which some people should break up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not from the cadre that you should stay together if it's not working. However, you can work through the thing. And if when you can't work through the thing, then you need to do what you need to do. So I will say when he was over in Iraq, the services that I received initially were none, zero. They had something called the yellow ribbon. I'm blanking out on it right now, but there was something that the military offered. The first time he went, there was nothing. The second time, you know, they were like, oh, you can, they were telling us stuff that I learned on my own, Laura, don't watch the news don't do this don't mm. do that he was just like this is ridiculous and one of my other friends whose husband was in Charles unit was like yeah i went through some of the um yellow ribbon meetings and things and she would tell me about it and i how do i say this <laughs> i don't have time for cattiness one of the things i don't have time for and i never have is like cliquishness clicks and tribalism and cattiness So whether that's with military spouses, whether that's with veteran spouses, whether it's with any other type of group, it's never been me. It's never been. I was never in the cool girl's clique in high school. So that kind of energy just turned me off. And I was like, I'm not going to learn anything. And I'm I'm working and I have things to do, right? So I don't have time for that. I'm not going to be baking cookies and that kind of stuff. (laughs) I mean, I'm not that woman. Yeah. Right, So and there's nothing wrong with that. I just know who I am. And as I my yoga journey progressed, that became more and more apparent. So it was never like, oh, I realized this is like more of the shining, the illumination of this is the type of person I am. This is the type of woman I want to be. And I'm going to walk into that. And if my spouse can come along with that walk, that's great. If he can, I also understand that. And that's just been my Mantra. That's been my mo. Yeah. Did you actually teach him yoga? I know sometimes our family members are the hardest oh. ones to share yoga with. No, it's the facts. I did a little bit of stuff with him, and as my yoga journey progressed, I started doing um, yoga for vets classes at the local studios. You know, where they would be community based. We would offer whatever you can give. You know, suggested donations and that kind of thing. And I did that. That was my seva. Yeah. For a while, right? And I did that. And then I started working with some local nonprofits who were working specifically with caregivers. As I was a caregiver and I went to the program, and then they were like, oh, we need this yoga teacher. And so I did that with Hope for the Warriors for five years or six years, something. It was a long relationship, it was a great relationship. And now I'm doing some stuff specifically with Black veterans online. So, you know, the journey changes and shifts. And of course, my husband knows I'm a yoga therapist. Often the families don't want to (laughs) Mm do, they know you know the stuff. And by the time they come to you like, oh, my hip's hurting. It's too late. (laughs) It's almost Mm -hmm. too late. Right. It's like, you have to move every day. Like we know this, right. Because we are yoga practitioners. So I have a daily asana practice. I have a daily meditation practice. I have a daily breath practice. And then that yoga I take into the grocery store or the gas station off the mat wherever I go. And that's been very beneficial specifically in these last three years where we've been in COVID. And there's been a collective, this kind of community trauma that we've all experienced during these last three years that I'm seeing some similarities with our experiences. Yeah. Right. Can you share a little bit about
0: the practices that you would share with veterans and anything I know you've written a bit about best practices anything mm-hmm. specific as far as specifically dealing with folks who have been through PTSD and especially related to having served what does that type of yoga practice look like and what are you know what are some of the things that you'd want to teach or not want to teach
1: well, you know how we move in trauma spaces for yoga, it's often who comes into the room. So you're teaching to who shows up. And my experiences with veterans in yoga has been the space holding is the most important thing. The compassionate listening has been the most important thing. So it's not necessarily, okay, we're not going to do This pose. We're not going to do frog, for instance, because someone has told me that they have military sexual trauma or MST, for instance. It's more about holding space for this person or these persons to feel comfortable, to be able to fully exhale, and to be able to fully allow the earth beneath them to hold them. And for them to be held. I don't use words like surrender to the earth beneath, let go. I will maybe say, Are you clenching your glutes? Can you soften, unclench? Can you allow the earth to hold you here? Things like that. I give many options, many different uh, variations of poses. What I have found in working with vets is many people like supported bridge. And I know for a fact that people love yoga nidra. So I always, even if the class is an hour, I will do a 20 minute yoga nidra. You also need to throw your expectations out the door. So I often use this saying, man plans and God laughs Mm -hmm. because you can plan a whole sequence. And if you get some veterans, and they're all from different branches, two from the Army, two from the Navy, two from the Air Force, two from the Marines, two from the Coast Guard, they're going to be chatting it up and cackling and hounding each other. That is you holding space. So if you only get two or three postures, which has happened Mm -hmm. (laughs) to me, you need to hold space for that energy to happen and for them to dispel that energy so that the poses you do choose for them can be richer and can be felt in the body. And so my goal is really for the spark of interoception to be felt when I'm teaching veterans and caregivers even, because I, as a caregiver myself, you're so busy that you're out of your body. You never have time to do anything. And my thought on that is there's 24 hours in a day and you have to take a shower. So maybe you don't meditate on a cushion. Maybe that meditation is literally on the toilet. Maybe that meditation is in the shower, standing. Maybe checking in with the breath is in the shower or the bath. Maybe you can make washing the dishes a mindful practice, right? So these things that we know, where we can take the yoga on or off the mat and we can incorporate them into our daily lives, that is how I teach veterans and their families, and that's how I continue to learn about this. so this is a continual learning process for me there's I'm always being taught by the students, by the veterans, by anyone who shows up in the class. You always have to have a beginner's mind in these spaces, especially when you're working with trauma. I never think that I know everything because I've had like four trauma trainings or because I've trained for two years as a yoga therapist. Like, I never think I have all of it. I'm always coming from a space of open-mindedness and open-heartedness. Yeah. I could say that for sure about you, just in all our
0: interactions. Thank you. Can you explain for folks who might not know about interception, what that is and how you would lead folks to gaining that?
1: Yeah. So interception is how a felt sense, and I'm just going to keep it simple, a felt sense in the body. So if you can bring your awareness, like I'm talking myself through bringing my awareness to my left pinky toe then I can shift my attention to my left pinky toe. That took longer (laughs) Mm -hmm. for me than normal. But some people don't have that because they, one, because trauma, right? If you have been sexually assaulted or anything, you learn to kind of turn these things off often, not always. But also the focus is on outward, outwardness. And so how do I look in this pose? Not what is felt in this pose. Mm right? So if I'm in warrior two, what's happening with that, my back left heel, the outside of my back left foot, what's happening to the front right knee? Is it in line with my front right ankle? Am I fully engaging my whole foot or just the ball? So what is the sensation I'm getting from that? Is there a pain? Is it just sensation? So really being able to call that, part because often people say this hurts. Does it hurt or is it just weird sensation? Yeah. Right. Is it just something you haven't felt before? And so it's weird because you haven't felt it before. It's really, there's this idea of being, uh, having a felt sense in the body and how the body moves through this. And then proprioception is how your body is sensed in space and the spaces around you. And so that's just a simple, (laughs) those are simple definitions, but I don't tell the veterans, okay, we're going to do interoceptive awareness practices, you know, I'm really just guiding them as we are in a pose. And I do warriors because they, you know, seem to like that, particularly, even if I'm doing sort of a, a mindful movement class in a yoga nidra at the end, what is a felt sense with your inner thigh of the right leg as you're in this warrior? Are you engaging it or are you just kind of hanging out? Then you see everybody engaging because, you know, mm-hmm. the veterans, like I'm strong or whatever, And there's a felt sense there. What are your arms doing? Do you feel your triceps or biceps? So just taking them, you know, you don't have to use the fancy anatomy language like, where do you feel in your rhomboids or your, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) intercostals? Like often we hear in in classes, just tell them, okay, where are your ribs at? Can you put your hands there and breathe into your ribs? So Mm -hmm. sometimes simplicity is better than really going through the the rigmarole of saying interoception or your QL or your rhomboids. You and I can talk like that, but is it necessary often, you know, when we're working with these populations? I don't think so.
0: No. And that's interesting. I wanted to ask you if warrior would be a popular pose. So thank you for answering that.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Does yoga
0: nidra need special trauma sensitivity guidelines? Because I could imagine that it could be triggering Mm -hmm. we know that like you mentioned earlier and like we will be getting to very shortly about sleep because that's essential to what you do that Mm -hmm. you know hypervigilance is one of the outcomes of trauma so going Mm -hmm. into a deep rest can feel unsafe sometimes absolutely yeah And maybe we better explain just briefly yoga nidra in case some folks aren't familiar.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yoga nidra is a practice. It can be restorative. It can be triggering, like you said, where you do, you pretty much come in and you create a sankalpa and then you do a body scan and that can be the long body scan or a shorter one. Then you kind of do some breath practices, some visualization, you know, some sensation practices. There's so many different variations of that. And then you end with returning to your Sankalpa. And my experience has been that I use the props a lot and I give them like a bolster support so you're not laying flat on your back. So imagine, you know, when you're in savasana and you're in yoga class, you're kind of just laying flat. I use the blocks and kind of give them an incline for the bolster so that they can lie if that's comfortable, right? I ask if that's comfortable so they can kind of have some support. In that when they're not fully on their backs and whatever other supports they need before I set it up, my experience has been I have had a person say that that was they really had a hard time dropping in. But for the most part, the veterans that I've worked with and I've worked with a lot, they don't hear me going through the body scan. I don't even get to the body Mm. scan because they have fallen asleep because they're exhausted. Mm. There's a cacophony of snoring. So while I'm guiding the practice, okay, feel the breath in your belly, you know, I'm moving on to, okay, imagine the hot temperatures, I'm decide what I want to do. And often I don't pick temperatures or when you do the visualization, I'm real careful with what's going to trigger. If I have a bunch of, and this is just me, Afghanistan or Iraq veterans in the class, I don't say anything about like a red desert or dry desert or anything like that. I'm very careful with that part of languaging. But anything could be triggering. I could say like a freshly peeled orange, that could be triggering because somebody's childhood, right? So that could be, you just need to be mindful and that's what the container is. That's where you're holding space that if that does come up, you're able to address it in real time. And so it's mostly, I have been trying to monitor the cacophony of snoring that, (laughs) I think that's wonderful.
0: I mean, yeah. because if people feel safe enough in your space to fall asleep, exactly. Wow, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is actually in this con. You know, in some context, we'd be like, if I'm giving a talk or a speech. Yeah. You know, if the whole audience is falling asleep, I feel you know, uh oh, I didn't do my job. But in this case, folks might not realize is that's a great sign that you have yeah. really done your job. Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I know we've read in the old text of yoga nidra. Well, you're just, you're not supposed to fall asleep. You're supposed to be at that space before you fall asleep. And I don't worry about that Yeah. because if, if they've been so wired and busy and traumatized and triggered where they can't get good sleep and they're sleeping here, then that's good. That's right. Then, then I've done my job. And the movement, as we know, that energy transmuting through poses and through breath, As many veterans who have experienced trauma in this way have shallow breathing, I'm really trying to expand the breath
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: have them get fully deep breaths because the breath is also movement. As we do that and we do some movement and we do some contemplation and then we do a yoga nidra, if their body receives it in a way where they can rest and they can feel safe in that space, and that's, I've done my job.
0: And have you seen the outcomes that yoga nidra and breath work, these practices, are you getting testimonials or
1: participating in any studies where you're seeing that the results, that it's really working? Yeah, there's lots of studies and hopefully more coming out about different types of yoga nidra, working with veterans and restorative practices. I've had plenty of testimonials where I mean, one of my former clients is actually a yoga teacher now. She's just, mm. She tells everybody, "Pam helped me. Yoga changed my life." And I let her say it, but I feel you know how I feel. I'm like the yoga comes through me to share. Yeah, it was your time to accept it, but I'm very happy that I have been able to help veterans and their families, those who love them, in that way. Right, so. It's just been amazing to see how that's unfurled and how I have inspired veterans to work through their trauma and their triggers and how they're better for it, right? So, Yeah, that's really wonderful.
0: And since we've been talking about people falling asleep in class, (laughs) maybe you can share about the importance of sleep and your yoga to sleep and those practices. So when you're really focusing on yoga for helping folks get better quality sleep,
1: what is that about? Well, sleep is like so important. And I think before the pandemic, people were still walking around, not everyone, but they were still walking around like sleep is for wimps. I think Margaret Thatcher actually said that one. I think Winston Churchill said, I sleep when I'm dead. This is so not the natural way of things. Just hustle and bustle is not natural and it goes against the grain of who we are. Now that we have blue light and computers and phones and all of these things, and artificial light really has screwed our sleep up. So if we think about our ancestors, they were lighting candles or whatever. Darkness came. And they had to adapt to the darkness, and that's when you slow down, and that's when you lie down and slowly allow the body to receive the rest that it's supposed to receive, because we have to recharge every day. And so one-third of the nation is, and by the nation I mean the United States, is sleep-deprived. I think it's more than that since COVID. I think they need to reduce the studies. I think I got that from the National Sleep Foundation But I would say with corona insomnia and all of these other insomnia disorders, I would think that that has increased in the past three years since we've been dealing with the triggers and trauma of COVID during these times, along with how people work. So before that, it was okay, I have to go to this job, work 16 hours, et cetera, et cetera. And what I see to my dismay is a fighting to return to that same model when that model, I believe, did not work for people who needed rest and restoration, which is everyone, people who needed good sleep, which is everybody. So they're trying to, oh, we need the office culture and we need this. Do you really need people standing at a water cooler talking about nothing? Do you really need that? What COVID has illuminated for us is that much of the work, when I'm not talking about service workers or things like that can be done from the safety and security of your own home. And in fact, work productivity went up in that way. So why are you fighting other than you're paying rents on the buildings and you want to control people, in my opinion? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Why are you fighting that? When these people didn't have to sit, and I'm just thinking about I'm in the D.C. metro area in traffic for two and a half hours going to and from work, they could actually use those two and a half hours to spend more time with their kids, To throw a couple of loads of laundry in the machine and still get their work done at top-notch level. Right. So less trauma in dealing with office politics and more focus on the work. So some companies have switched to that. Some companies have subsequently added more mindfulness and yoga to their employee wellness protocols as a result of it. Uh, But some companies and corporations are stuck and they are not. Looking at the studies of sleep deprivation and long COVID studies, which are now coming out, where sleep deprivation or the sensation of smell, for instance, hasn't come back in six months. All of these problems that wrap into the bottom line of are you being recharged nightly, which is what sleep does. So I'm a proponent of getting a good night's sleep. I have, it's been a challenge for me for many years. However, if I get seven hours, and, and the studies now are saying seven to nine hours of sleep, if I get about seven hours, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Even if I get up and go to the bathroom <laughs> mm-hmm. once or twice, I'm good because I can fall back to sleep because there's restoration. Now, I love sleep so much that I have eye masks. If I have to, I'll use earplugs. If I have to, I'll use melatonin, but I don't take that all the time. I really have to bargain with if we're going to have the TV on at night, (laughs) you know, because that is blue light. But then I can't argue if I have my phone. Right. I can't argue with the blue light of the TV if I have my phone. It's really focusing on myself to better myself in that way, because we're all a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. And then to be able to help people who have chronic insomnia conditions. Some of that can be because they have chronic pain. So if you have chronic pain and you've been dealing with that for five years and, you know, and then here comes COVID to just really mess things up, then yeah, it's going to mess with your sleep. So what are you going to do? Can you take magnesium? A lot of people take magnesium to restore. A lot of people take ashwagandha or rhodiola, you know, adaptogens to help them relieve the stress because the stress is what also keeps us up awake at night. I also believe that sleep is spiritual. And so even with all the whatever supplementation I mentioned, I would look at what is my spiritual practice, what's going on in my mind as it relates to any anxiety or depression that I've been dealing with. And so that's going through the koshas. So we know about the koshas we're going through. Okay, we can start with Anamaya. Maybe we jump to Vishnanamaya. Maybe we jump to that wisdom body. Maybe we jump to the bliss body and look at what's going on inwardly what how is your soul showing up to your life mm. because often when these disruptions come in life and we've all had disruptions these past 3 years but what is the practice in relating to that disruption what is the practice of santosha i would say which is not an embracing of it but more of an acceptance like okay this happened and i'm going to sit with what this happened i'm going to work around what happened and I'm going to work on myself. So things can be and both things can happen simultaneously in this country. We're so used to working in spaces of duality and either, or, and I'm over here and you're over there that often these things merge and meld and combine. And so we have to take an and both approach or an, and also many approach sleep. And that's how I look at sleep. So for some people, and I've done a few workshops at Yogaville Ashram, and I worked with, during the pandemic, a few universities talking about sleep. And always one or two people are like, oh, I've never thought about sleep being spiritual. I've never thought about that. I'm like, absolutely is. I mean, you you can dream. You can have lucid dreams. People visit you in your dreams. You have ancestors coming to you, giving you messages from dreams. You vacillate between the five stages of sleep and and dreams. You go to REM sleep, rapid eye movement, and you get that deep sleep. You got delta waves and all of these things going on in the brain. But also, what's going on in the spirit while you're sleeping? What's weighing on your heart, right? What did you take to bed with you that was weighing on your heart? Often, we can't help that, right? Everyone's like, oh, you should clear your heart. I used to hear this when I was growing up, Laura clear your heart and mind, don't have any arguments before bed, that Mm -hmm. kind of Never go to bed angry. Never Mm -hmm. go to bed angry. Yeah. Sometimes you can't help it. And so just really being compassionate and kind with yourself and that understanding. And then just doing the best you can with these practices. These things affect your sleep. And I see friends are like, I recently started using serums before bed. My skin game (laughs) has improved during COVID. I'm like, what are these serums? You know, they're expensive little things you put drops on or whatever, but if you get enough sleep, that's the serum too. Mm -hmm. Everyone wants to put things on. Everyone's outwardly, outwardly, let me do this. Let me put this concoction on my face, which is great. There's nothing like a good face mask and a good body scrub and sleep is the serum, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: right? Yeah. And I love how you, you know,
0: going for the combination, right? Like the clearing as much of your heart and mind as you can, what's possible taking maybe some supplements, combination of methods, reducing that, the blue light, I find
1: legs up the wall. I don't know if if that's something you, yeah. (laughs) All the time, all the, you know, and I forget it. I'm always telling people legs up the wall. I had a friend the other day, Laura, say, oh, she's, and she's a yoga therapist too. And she's sending this. And I'm like, we know this, (laughs) you know, often we forget and legs up the wall is juicy. Yeah. And you could do it in the bed if you have a banister. I mean, it's just so, and I've taught it that way. I'm like, just, if you're in the bed, just put your legs, they don't have to be straight up, but you know, really you're moving the hips and things like that. And maybe you want to put a soft blanket, cross your legs or something. And they're like, oh man, this was amazing. And I'm like, why don't I do it? You know I'm telling my clients.:
0: <laughs> Yeah, when I can't sleep, you know one of my really tried and true methods is to just flip around and put my legs just up, up on the wall. and uh, I will always fall asleep.:
1: The legs of the wall is just amazing. Also a tense and release, sometimes yes. a breath.: Oh, why don't you explain that? That's such a good practice. Yeah. So I had to, you know, if you don't want to be taking everything every night, you know, all these things, a tense and release where I will start with, how do I start if I'm struggling with my face and I tense up, I inhale, tense my face, exhale, release. And then I might do that twice, tense and then release. And then I might tense my hands and on an inhale and then exhale and try to make the exhales a little longer on the release. tensing. And then releasing, I might tense my glutes. I might tense my torso. I do start from my head when I'm in the bed and go all the way down to my feet. And then if I need to, I'll come all the way back up. So the tense and release follows the breath. That's golden. Yeah. And you don't even have to flip around. Now, I have flipped around because sometimes I just need that blood flow of my legs being up and a nice legs up the wall. However, even if you do legs up the wall, like you take a break from work and you're like, okay, it's three o'clock and you want to go get a coffee, which is not going to help you get to sleep. Mm-hmm. I have had so many clients run to Starbucks and they're like, I don't know why I'm getting to sleep. They got the venti coffee at two o'clock, two 30 in the afternoon. First of all, you got all that sugar in it. And then you have all this caffeine. And I'm like, please stop that just get some herbal tea at that point. And they look at me like I have been doing this. I get my coffees and I'm not giving it up. I'm like, you want me to help you. And I'm just helping, I'm just giving you (laughs) suggestions. Like that's not going to benefit you. If you have that craving and you decide, no, I'm going to do legs up the wall for 10 minutes. It'll lessen the craving. I'm not going to say it's completely get rid of it. I used to have a Starbucks addiction, no more, but it'll lessen the craving. Yeah. And you'll feel better. I mean, legs up the wall is magic. It's magical. But the tensing at night is too, when you're in the dark and your partner's over there sleeping soundly and you're mm-hmm. mad because <laughs> they're sleeping soundly. And you could, but you can sleep soundly as well by tensing and releasing, mm-hmm. following your breath, maybe even doing a kind of a mild dirga pranayam while you're in the bed. If you don't feel like tensing, sometimes I'm like, I don't feel like doing this whole body thing. I just focus on my breath. Okay, let me breathe into my belly. Let me breathe into my side body ribs. Let me breathe into the heart space. Let me combine all three. Sometimes it works. Sometimes I'm, I don't remember what I did. I don't, sometimes I don't get to the combining all three because I've fallen back to sleep. Yeah.
0: Well, that's beautiful. I mean, I think you've given a couple practices, more than a couple of few practices that folks can work with who are struggling with sleep. Is that what you do, Pimela, now with your work with yoga to sleep? Is it individual coaching or do you teach courses on yoga for getting better sleep? How can folks work with you if they're struggling around sleep and they want to try some of these practices?
1: Yeah, I have a limited amount of clients that I see because I give so much to them that some of them are, and everyone inevitably is dealing with some sleep issues. So I've had clients with MS, I have a client that was legally blind which has been a challenge because your cueing has to be definitely on point. Um, I've had clients who have a lot of autoimmune issues, but the core of that is I can't get sleep. I, my sleep is this way. Folks can work with me individually that way. I've done, since the pandemic, I've been online. I'm slowly uh, branching back out to being in person, but I was using Zoom like everyone else and working individually with clients in, in a patient-centered, individualized way working specifically with their conditions. I'm also working on just putting my signature course, why am I so tired mm-hmm. or waste online? Because there's so many people, I've done it in so many different iterations. I'm actually running it with a studio this fall and we're still playing around with who we're going to do that in person or online. You know, we're in that kind of Middle liminal space, I guess. Is this going to be a hybrid or how are we going to do this? But I was like, you know, I'm just going to record this. I've been doing this course for years now. I'm in my 10 year anniversary of yoga to sleep, having my yoga to sleep business. And so I think I was like, I'm just going to record the course and record a practice. And if people want to have that access online, to be able to do that. And so hopefully I'll have that secure within the next month or so. And that will be on my Yoga to Sleep website. And anybody that wants to work with me to do a presentation or anything, I'm available for that. So what's so beautiful, Laura, during this COVID time, there was lots of upheaval. There was lots of death and uh, destruction and horror. But what I will say is I had people reach out to me from different universities and wanted me to present uh, sleep, yoga and sleep in, in some form or fashion. And that was amazing. And that was online. Some people moved their conferences online and and I was a participant in that. And so I'm able to do that. I really believe that sleep and yoga, sleep and movement, sleep and breath, and mindfulness are really keys to us being able to heal ourselves. So sleep is healing. As we return to sleep and return to the unconscious, that's where healing can begin. That's where we are immediately, Our digestive system kicks in, we start healing in the space of sleep, really deep restorative sleep. And so I'm willing to do that. Right now, I'm doing a group yoga therapy, specifically working with Black veterans and their concerns. And hopefully I'll be able to offer that once or twice in 2023. So I'm trying to just do series in that way. I have a yoga to sleep training that I've resuscitated. So Laura, you know how you do these trainings? You're like, this is a lot of work. Yeah. (laughs) I had like 10 people interested in the yoga to sleep YTT and I really changed that so that I can also offer it to yoga therapists. And I had to get that course certified through IEYT as a yoga therapist trainer. And so I reached out, I was going to offer it in November, but now I think I'm going to push that into 2023 because some of the folks that want to take it have life issues happening. So I was like, no worries, I'll push it into 2023 and I'm going to do that online and we'll see how it goes. But that's what I'm offering through through Yoga to Sleep right now. If someone's interested, they can reach out to me through my email at yogatosleep@gmail.com. at gmail.com and we can talk about it. So often people reach out and they're like I'm thinking about doing this or doing that and I'm like, "Oh yeah, we can do that." And it's kind of like a co-creation mm-hmm. of a program or a project or yeah. or an initiative. So, I'm open to that, but I really am excited and this is my space of bringing sleep and yoga to anyone who who wants it. So,
0: yeah. And I really just want to highlight and say again, how important this is. I know you've said it a few times in our conversation, but just for those in the back (laughs) who think that they can do exercise and do supplements and do all Mm -hmm. the things, but skip sleep, it's not going to happen. Like you said, and I think it was such an important point that I want to just say it again, you know, sleep is when the healing happens. Yeah. It's really like your when the cells are healing your body and restoring your body. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. the sleep is really, really deeply important and no one can skirt around it or get away, sorry, without sleep. And I found seven hours is really um, my sweet spot and important for me as well. So that was cool that you said that. I've I've experimented, you know, and I was like, if I can get seven hours, I'm okay. But that's not the same for everyone. Different people need different amounts of sleep. Mm -hmm. And like you pointed out, which is valid. It's also, you know, what kind of sleep am I getting? What quality of sleep am I getting? Is it broken up? when I wake up, can I fall right back to sleep? And all, it's not just the amount, but it's the quality as well. And there's just more and more coming out on this topic, Pam. So I think it's great that you're in this space. There are more trackers for sleep. So like ways that Mm -hmm. you can track which part of sleep you're in during the night and just a lot, a lot of information coming out about sleep. So I think you're in the right place
1: and a lot of people are going to be looking for you. Yeah. I mean, thank you for that. I'm here. I'm willing to help and I'm willing to talk about this because this is near and dear to my heart. I am a recovering insomniac, as I, I like to tell people, and I really have tried different ways and methods to affect my sleep, including Ambien. And I have to tell you, Laura, when I decided to come off of Ambien, because I felt like I wasn't fully restful. I didn't dream on Ambien. I was exhausted for an entire week. Mm. I couldn't get sleep for a week. It was like six days. It wasn't a full week, but it was so horrible coming off of that. So I was like, well, what, which means I never want to go back on it.
0: Yeah, Right. Because it's
1: like, huh, if I need to keep taking this and I've met people who are on a higher dose of Ambien, they've been taking it for 10 years. And I'm like, that is not there's something going on, and that's where the coaches can come in, where you can explore what's going on deeper inside of yourself where you're not getting that sleep.
0: Yeah. Pamela, before you go, I wanted to ask you one more question and just reflect on this for a minute for some of our listeners. You know, you, and they might not know, you've been central and participated in helping in serving so many yoga nonprofits and folks in the yoga nonprofit world. And I just wondered if you just wanted to to speak to that at all for, you know, folks who are new to that space and understanding about what's going on in yoga nonprofits and just the power of yoga in for trauma survivors and what kind of organizations people should look out for support or, you know, like anything of what you've learned about serving on
1: so many yoga nonprofits. Wow. There's so many levels. My journey with working with a yoga nonprofit started because I was working with military nonprofits. I'm a co-founder of Blue Star Families. My husband is still on the board. I was working there at the time. And so we had to do a conflict of interest. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> statement, which many people are, are may, or may or may not be familiar with. And he's still involved with them. And they've done a lot of things. So I had that experience in working with different nonprofits in my corporate life before yoga as a researcher, as a research analyst and moving into the military space and then subsequently as a yoga space. So I had this idea of Robert's Rules of Order and all of that and what a board should look like and, and how diverse boards should be as I grew into that. And so often my experience has been, oh, we'll bring Pam in because she doesn't have a problem with asking for money, right? <laughs> so I'm usually running a development committee on the board as I was with Accessible Yoga, for instance, Accessible Yoga Association, that was an amazing journey because you're working with a lot of yogis and some people who were new to the yoga space, but really understood the mission or missions of yoga as service and want to help in some way, either through a donation or through some work or through some type of scholarship program. And so if you get involved in a somebody that's really doing the work, like you, three you guys are doing great stuff. Three Acres is doing great work, Laura. The Give Back Yoga Foundation is doing great work. I was involved with them at, at some point. And the people that reached out to me to get involved were amazing and very open to helping me work with veterans and use my experience of veteran caregiver to put into that work. If you're going to get involved in that, I would look at Laura Land's Three Acres, look at Accessible Yoga, which is doing amazing stuff. They have a conference coming up. Look at these organizations and really say how you want to be involved. How do you want to give back? Do you want this to be SEVA for you in some way? And go from there. Well, thank you for that.
0: You've been in service for so many and for so long, and and thank you for noting my nonprofit as one of those that you support. I really appreciate that. Pam, is there anything that I didn't ask you or we should have talked about today?
1: Well, from one of these nonprofits, incidentally, working in the yoga as service space, I met my business partner, Amina Naru, and we created Retreat to Spirit in 2018, right before the pandemic. And (laughs) I'm sure, and and that's not a nonprofit, but because we've met through so many nonprofits, our connection is so many others. Our connection, Laura, and I've met a lot of people through these connections, has been really illuminating. And so we do stuff specifically, it's called Retreat to Spirit because we do retreats for the Spirit. Mm. We have a retreat coming up in March of 2023, starting on March 4, going to March 11 at Blue Spirit in Costa Rica. And we focus on transformational soul care. So we take, what's the beauty of this is I take what I like, she takes what she likes. We do a little shadow work, a little deep dive into exploring soul work and doing some spiritual um, delving into how to free ourselves, really. In a relaxing environment, we also have a trauma training that's focused. It's a trauma conscious yoga teacher training. And our next one is in December at Crofton Yoga in Crofton, Maryland. And but we've been asked to do those trainings in many places in 2023. So look for that. And yeah, I'm excited. So we do a lot of good work. We have um a mentorship program specifically for wellness practitioners that's starting in January. That's all online in 2023. And so, yeah, retreat to spirit dot today is the website. You can join us there. Retreat to spirit dot today, and my website is yoga the number two sleep dot com. And that's it. Yeah, and I'll put that all in the show notes. Yeah, and I
0: know people will be looking out for you, Pam. Pam, thanks so much for making the time
1: today to chat with me. Thank you for asking me. I truly appreciate it, and I love this conversation busy world it becomes clear there are billions of paths as we buzz around the busy world we will appear in other people's photographs as we speed through the centuries we will collide and the light will bend we will be accidentally immortalized in someone else's land